I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. Listen. Okay. Okay. Dennis, your bro- your twin brother Brian, he uh, is really he good is, at Warzone. He, he is. Oh, he's so he's, he's very <laughs> he's good, really at good at Warzone. <laughs> he's very good at taking photography photos. He's yep. very good at uh, being a, do- a dog dad. And you know what else he's really good at? He's really good at traveling the world for really cool uh, work stuff. And um, recently, you're making me he feel less to- than. Um, well, we're, ta- we're no. I'm just I'm just talking about your brother. I'm not comparing your brother to you. What is this? A put fucking that, put your some ego twin? Away, dude. Yeah, is this like a twin thing? What the yeah, fuck? I think you are projecting. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, um, oh, I and need to unpack this in therapy. And I feel like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like he would probably be a really great um, podcast host. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, your brother uh, traveled to outside of Canada recently uh, for work. And, and, you know, so it's like, oh, well, he has to leave Canada. Uh, he comes back into Canada. And just like everyone else who has to leave Canada, he is told, um, you know, we're under a state of emergency here in Nova Scotia. You need to quarantine for 14 days. Um, yeah, yeah, whatever. But they also send him an email. And I don't know if you guys heard about this or seen this. This, this actually blew my fucking mind. And not in a in a bad way. Actually, th- I think this is amazing. But this is this is wild. So here's a chunk of the email that he got from the government when he upon his return um, to Canada. Uh, so it's it's the whole thing of like explaining why you know he needs to quarantine, yada yada. Uh, I thought if you this start was having, a bit, but then I realized that no, it's no, serious. this is real. Yeah, yeah, this is serious. <laughs> uh, if you start having symptoms of COVID nineteen. <laughs> Cough, shortness of breath, or fever equal to or greater than 38 degrees, or signs of fever, uh, examples of shivering, flushed skin, excessive sweating. Isolate yourself from others. Immediately call a healthcare professional or public health authority to describe your symptoms and travel history and follow their instructions. Start your 14-day quarantine period over if you develop any symptoms during your quarantine period. Okay, so that's, that all makes sense, right? It goes on. This is the interesting part. Violating any instructions provided to you when you entered Canada 
as part of this emergency order is an offense under the Quarantine Act and could lead up to six months in prison and or $750,000 in fines. Nah, but you know what that really is like. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Further, a person who causes a risk of imminent death or serious bodily harm to another person while willfully or recklessly contravening this act or the regulations could be liable for a fine up to $1 million (laughs) or up to three years in prison or why not both? Yeah. You know what? You know what, uh, guys? uh, We're all on the hook for about um, $50 million in fines for all the movies we've pirated from. uh, (laughs) Hey, man, you don't you don't think you don't think they would follow through with that if someone if someone. So this is because Taylor, no, I don't uh, think in mind. This is different from like this is different from. Um, like this is different. Another example, we'll use Dennis for the whole example. I think it's a, this is I different think it's from Dennis measure. coming from Vancouver, right? And them saying, Hey, you got to quarantine. Cause if we catch you not doing that, we'll give you a thousand dollar fine, which they slung a fuckload of those out. Sure. But that's a thousand dollars. That's a thousand dollars. But you don't think that you don't think that someone who let's say came here from the U S and, and got some, got an, uh, their grandmother, Gave their grandmother COVID because they went over to the grandmother's house and gave her a kiss on the sweet old, sweet old grandma. Gave her a kiss on the sweet old little cheek. Give me a, give me a kiss right here on my little cheek right here. And, and that's what their grandma sounded like. And they were like, oh, Jesus Christ. He was okay, like, I just have COVID. I don't want to get it do over that. With. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, was like, do it. Do it. You, you, they you, kiss your fu- you kiss your fucking grandma. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God. I, I'm actually going to try to kill her right now. Uh, so kisses her on the cheek. She dies right now. Whether that's murder, the, um, what, do we, what do we call that? Um, manslaughter. Man uh, no, no, no. Uh, grandma no, no, slaughter. I, yeah, yeah. Gra- gra- uh, yeah, yes. that's it. Grandma, grandma slaughter. That's uh, really so he good. grandma slaughters his grandma. All right. You don't think that that person could potentially get a one million dollar fine and some time in jail for well, dude, killing what, someone with no. Th- those 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 things are put in place. I think that person would that person would face something. But Man, Taylor, they, but what about I hope you get a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars fine they so that those, you, we can we those, can change your tune on they this. They put podcast. those things in. They put those things in place because because it is because it is severe enough to 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 really drastically make people think about what they're doing. That's why. And 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 it's a good. I think it's a good measure. It's I a think good they measure should, to put those things think, in place. But I they're think, not slinging out three quarters of a million dollar. Fines. I think they should start. Um, if people don't wear their seatbelts, instead of giving know. them hundred dollar fines, they should just um, do the death sentence because you know it's severe enough that it would make people wear their seatbelts. Well, the Brian, you're yeah. thinking of you're actually that's thinking a, about. You're, I mean, you lived in a horrible. place where they basically treated a lot of stuff like that in Dubai, where they're that's like, a oh, misrepresentation. You're smoking, well, you're smoking weed. Okay, well, like, you're going to jail then. For yeah. four years, like that is but a that is a wildly crazy. Ex- that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but but I, you the, know what? Think about the fine. I, so I, but, hold but on, what, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on, no, Lauren, no, Lauren. No. I need you to find. I no. need you to find someone who knows something about this because I bet you. <laughs> I bet you they would give a fine. But the, I bet no, you they would they give a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars fine they to someone. Didn't. I bet you they would they to didn't. someone. I'm telling the guy from the USA who came in here. <laughs> And infected everybody. He came you know, from got, the United States. And I got some infected, rumors about that infected story. Infected those people, and then he went to PEI, and they they knew no. that he did these things. He didn't. No, the guy he didn't here, to, he, he didn't go to PEI. He I got PEI I mean, kicked him out. PEI? 
I got some. But, I right. got some. I he got drove some very... to the bridge, but they didn't let him on the island. They were like, "Fuck it, off!" Exactly. And he went he back to Nova Scotia. A, he didn't get the seven hundred fifty thousand dollars fine. Uh, I can't. He was housed I, in a federal quarantine facility, though. Yeah, after yeah, that, I actually can't talk about it. I don't think I. I know some things. I've heard some things. Oh, actually, dude. we Just haven't taken the recording. We're, we're supposed to be it. taking anti-defamation training, guys, and I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but I feel like if I told this story and then we took the anti-defamation training, the day after I'd go. Oh, made a boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would at least have an example in the training to follow, and you could. Like, yeah, yeah, true, yeah, true. Uh, anyway, that so I just I thought that that was like I read that, and my and my eyes went. Uh, you know, my eyes literally did this, and they came out like that. <laughs> so here's some more news that's uh, even that more funny. interesting than what I just said. Um, uh, our friends over at Therapsil. Now, I say friends because we've been barking up that tree trying to get someone from Therapsil on the podcast, but I don't know if they just think we're a bunch of jokesters or what. I mean, we are jokesters and we're fucking idiots, but we also like having conversations with people who know their shit. Anyway, Therapsil, if you're listening to this, I really hope we can have someone on, on the podcast because I would love to talk about your whole world of using psilocybin as a therapeutic. But listen to this, guys. This is a Canadian company or organization, Therapsil. Um, and they are advocates uh, and, and you know, a team of people that are, that are really pushing for the use of, of um, mushrooms, psilocybin, as a form of therapy, specific for, um, specifically in the world of, like, hospice. Um, and huge news dropped this week. Four palliative Canadians approved for end-of-life psilocybin therapy through Section 56.1, first legal medical exemptions for psilocybin in Canada since 1970s. And this is cool. all thanks to Therapsil and the people at Therapsil. Four I, Canadians I that, battling... I would, in, I, I'm, I'm guessing it would be speculation at this point to talk about like what that therapy looks like, and that's what, obviously why it would be great to have somebody from there on the podcast to talk about it. But yeah. What do you think that looks like? Like I, psilocybin treatment leading up to like end-of-life or as part of end-of-life therapy? I think it would look very similar to the use of uh, psilocybin um, uh, in terms of being used as a therapy for, like, uh, major depressive depression. So, so like, I, uh, the way I'm, I'm picturing this working is a guided, a guided trip with a therapist where they take, you know, I'm guessing some sort of heroic dose of of psilocybin and then use. have like a you know like a a a guided conversation throughout that trip um that's whether or not that's focusing on the like the the like t- working through and talking directly about their uh, their imminent death or just allowing that process to be whatever it is and then afterwards following up with like a a sort of regimented therapy series of sessions to talk about, you know, their experience after. Also, I pulled all that completely out of my ass and and basing that off of, like, stuff that I've read based on how it works when people take mushrooms in a controlled environment for depression. But that that would be my guess. The one thing I want to know about is, like, obviously, uh, when you're engaging and using psychedelics, set set and setting is so important. And I couldn't imagine being in either like a hospital or 
I don't um, think they'd be doing it like that, though. Well, I, I know. I, but that's what I'm curious about. I'm like cur- curious what the set and setting would be. Because well, I mean, maybe be some, some, to... some of them might, some, they some, might yeah, be... Maybe some of them might... They might be, be like... Living in... need to be in the hospital, you know? Living in a right. hospital bed then, right now, yeah. Well, here, so, let me... So four Canadians battling incurable cancer have been approved by the Minister of Health, Patty Heju. Is it Heju or Heju? I don't know. Patty. Patty Heju. Heju. I think it's Heju. Heidu. Hi, dude. Mm-hmm. Fuck it me. Is, yeah. uh, Donovan, fix that in post. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what's funny is Donovan okay. doesn't do these episodes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's me. Jeremy. We're allowed to fix, make mistakes. Jeremy, fix that in post. Um, uh, has been approved by Minister of Health, Patty. Hi, dude. Hi, dude. Uh, to use psilocybin <laughs> therapy Lauren's in the around. treatment at the end of life distress. These four patients mark the first publicly known individuals to receive a legal exemption from the Canadian Drug and Substances Act to access psychedelic therapy and the first known patients to legally use psilocybin since the compound became illegal in Canada in 1974. The decision comes after over 100 days of waiting for a response. Quote, I would like to personally thank the Honorable Minister... Hi, do. Are you for real? And the team yeah. of the Office of Controlled Substances for the approval of my Section 56, 56 exemption. This is the positive result that I that is possible when good people show genuine compassion. I'm so grateful for, for that. I'm so grateful that I can move forward with the next step of healing, says Thomas Hartle, one of the Section 56 applicants battling cancer from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Lori Brooks, another applicant from British Columbia facing end of life di- distress, end of life distress states, quote, I want to thank the health minister and Health Canada for approving my request for psilocybin use. The acknowledgement of the pain and anxiety that I have been suffering means a lot to me, and I'm feeling quite emotional today as a result. I hope this is just the beginning. <coughs> Fix that in post chair. And that soon all Canadians will be able to access psilocybin for therapeutic use to help with the pain they're experiencing without having to petition for the government for months to gain permission. Thanks also to Therapsil for helping the four of us get uh, four of us in this fight to Thomas Hartle and the other two patients. I think of you often and wish you only good things, especially good health. Um, and again, it said it goes on, but it says here, Therapsil, a nonprofit coalition that advocates for legal, compassionate access to psilocybin therapy for palliative Canadians, supported patients with their applications to seek ministerial approval, and has been advocating for compassionate access since 2019. Mm. I think one and of the interesting really things in- there is that is is that what you said there, Brian, about set and setting is like mm-hmm. even when you, you know, even if the set and setting isn't so great, like. In the example of their one of them might be in a hospital bed, and that's they live in the hospital and they have to because their cancer is at such a stage that that's where they are <clears throat> like even even if the set and setting isn't that great and the trip is not that great, that's kind of the interesting thing about about psilocybin is that it's a it's such a teaching tool either whatever way you cut it. Yeah, well, there's a hard one. There's a, there's you're you're carving out new neural pathways regardless mm-hmm. of the experience, right? So, I mean, that, you know that that's not to. I, I'm sure there's someone listening here who's like, oh, I don't know, man. I did mushrooms back in high school. My hands started talking to my teeth, and I fucking. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, but that would be my mom. There's a there's a yeah there's a much different experience to like 
to someone. There's a, a very uh, you cannot compare the experience of someone, you know, doing mushrooms for their first time as a as a kid or even as an adult just to like get fucked up versus someone who's taking it with a with like an active intention. And I think that's where that's where it makes the biggest difference, right? That's why e- even if you were in a hospital room and it's like that's to me thinking about like going, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to like take a therapeutic dose of psilocybin to to manage or think about my my upcoming death and the stress that that, that gives me." Um I can imagine that being in a hospital wouldn't be the one place, like a place that I would really care to do a large dose of mushrooms. At least not unless, hospital, at least not it, unless you were hanging like <clears throat> tapestries from the wall, you dim the lights. Well, and that's what I was going to say. If I'm in there and, stuff, and I've got right? like, like tons of nice blankets on me and like, you know, it's like there's, I've got, I've got, you know, a good record candy player next to me and maybe a couple of friends. Yeah. A record player and some music, uh, it, like, you know, some, some plants and just like, <laughs> just, just, just dump plants. It's on so it, funny you know? because I was thinking about how important plants are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? But like what so, I mean, what I mean is like it, is that you is that even I mean maybe this is just you know in in hindsight I look at pretty much every nasty experience this way anyway. But even if it's a you know quote unquote in the moment it's a bad bad something right where maybe like uncomfortable experience. Mm. The whether it's whether it is it's such a great teacher in the way that it it that the discomfort like you learn so much from the discomfort yeah and and I get what you mean you know yeah. you you learn from that you learn from the the discomfort of that experience, and it can be at the maybe even at the very least like good contrast therapy, yeah. Which is something I only, that I heard of the other day, which I which I, I feel like I've always been describing as shooting with a weighted puck because I'm super Canadian. Um, and, and someone said contrast therapy the other day, and I went, that's the word I'm, I was looking for. That's the more professional term. I, I, the, the thing that I find frustrating from people who aren't open to the idea of using psilocybin in a therapeutic way is that the thing I hate is that people see it as like like a party drug. And they think like, oh, like you're just, you know, you just want to detach from reality. You just want to, you it's know, weird numb yourself. Drug. You just want to use it as a coping me- mechanism. But like, that's it's, someone who has zero relationship to psychedelics, right? Exactly. And but like, I think that there are people like I know that I was kind of brought up that way, though. Like, totally. I think of, you know, the way that I, the, the way that my parents educated me about drug use, and and drug use was drug use was a blanket statement. Yeah, you know, like drug use included every type of drug. Because that's the when, that's the war on like drugs. Like read old, Michael right? Pollan's book, and mm. it's like mm-hmm. it's so clearly defined. Like, hey, this is why people feel this way about this shit in it, general. It's not just your parents and and what they were taught. It's it's like it's everything that we've seen in media and the yeah. way that that government the, the policy, way that that for sure and government school? policy like yeah. school yeah. Ho- Hollywood like just just watching Hollywood movies. You know, it's like. That that was something that that really that really fucking rocked me when I watched Disclosure, which is the which is the the Netflix documentary about how about how about like the the narrow representation of trans folks in in Hollywood films, and I was watching that movie and it was like it was basically going like it was it was basically showing you or showing me personally when I watched it like how how that limited representation of trans people in film had an effect on the way that I thought of 
trans people. And like one of the examples that they use in that in that documentary is they're talking to uh, a trans woman and she she tells this story about how one of the first times she came out to someone um, that wasn't like a really close friend of hers, but it was it was like a work friend. So someone that she she felt comfortable with and and knew to a degree, but like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, her like longtime best friend. It was someone that she worked with. And she, and she said, um, she had said, yeah, I'm a trans woman and, and, or I'm, tra- I'm transitioning. And the, the person that they said this to his response was like, wait, like, like Buffalo Bill. <laughs> and, and her, her reaction is like, how, how fucked was that for me to like, to hear this person and like to see that like their their only yeah that their only their only idea of what a trans person is is this psychotic serial killer from from um uh, the Silence of the Lambs you know is that is that though maybe an example of just stupidity as well like I know I know I know that that it's that it's embedded like the media. No, I don't. Th- I don't think it is because this, in that, but that's th- also no. Th- I, this, super idiotic. this wasn't. This wasn't like this. This didn't happen yesterday. You know, like this was like the, this. This conversation that this person had was, you know, back in like the early two thousands or or oh, you know okay. late nineties or yeah, whatever. And so it's like it's like there, there is like, no there was no representation and right. the no. amount the the amount that we the I I, th- I think we take for granted the amount that film and television that form of media has plays such a, a big role in the way that we outwardly see the world and so mm-hmm. it's like coming back to the drugs thing you know how many fucking times have you watched um some sort of like bro comedy where someone eats too many mushrooms and everyone talks like this, and their fucking faces are melting off, and then the, there's giant frogs talking. Every it's like you watch Fear and Loathing, and and you you go, what what mushrooms did they take? Like <laughs> what what LSD is that? Because yeah, that's S, the Hunter stuff S. that Thompson I want. Also also drank three bottles of whiskey. <laughs> Totally, uh, totally, ball of coke. <laughs> totally, but what I'm, you know, what I'm saying in that, in yeah, that, the There's representation of what it looks like when you're high in film is because you know this. You've done mushrooms. Yeah, You've done LSD. You know that it's not like it's. You don't see snakes slithering out of the fucking walls. Like, I mean, Christ, I took five grams of mushrooms the other day, and it was a very intense experience. But not once did I see something. Well, I, I mean, not once did I see something that wasn't kind of there. You know, like, like I, did, I, did, like, I know exactly what you mean. When you say that, like, but it's you know, for someone who does, yeah. It, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like Br. I know Br has two eyes, and it kind of looked like he had six, but. There's no, there's no dragon behind him, you yeah. know. Like it's not some. You're not, you're not completely fabricating. And my, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not hearing the world way differently. Like it's all that stuff is, and all of that stuff plays such a big role in the, in the way that when we grow up, or or even when we're, we're already grown up, and we see that stuff, and we don't have a relationship to it, we, we then have nothing else to go on. We have no other, we have yeah. no other example to 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 reach back and and. And pull out. All yeah. we have to pull out are these like 
these really overblown fucking weird. Yeah. It's really like, it's really like turning off the lights and, and turning on a black light and realizing that there are things that we don't really perceive in like the normal way that we usually look like look at the world. That's like a good. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah, it is kind of like there's that, right? um there's never a scene in a movie where it's like a drama and everything's very serious and the person is like, yeah, um, you know, I've been really struggling lately. I just need to go and uh, take some mushrooms and I think that might help provide me with some clarity and I'll see life a little bit differently. Yeah, there's you, never yeah, a serious you, movie. Scene that is like a ra- that. you rarely do see that. Dude, you're <laughs> probably true. not going to see that for another decade. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't a know. A decade Maybe, wouldn't be too bad. Knows? Yeah, who knows? Because mostly because they don't talk about any drug in that fashion. Yeah, yeah. Those I think those da- those days are changing though. I, and this so back to Therapsil, I think we're we're seeing that change happen right now. We're seeing it in Canada. We're seeing it in places in the U.S. You know, so this is I I'm really excited about this because I I do I am I'm very. I am very strongly uh, for the use of psychedelics in in a way to like transform your life. Mm. Whether that be whether that be in some grandiose way of like prepping yourself for death, dude, it's or a spark. even even something even something as as like trivial as as you know trying to like just change your relationship to to your daily routine, you know, yeah. like, like I, it's, I think it's so po- fucking powerful if used properly and, and used with like intention and, and it, it's really fun too, you know, like yeah. you can especially, do that work and it's relation, like, wow, this is really fun. Enjoy. Especially stuff. in relation to, um, to, to like opioid use and like the, and mm. like how that's, how that is, how that is prescribed to, 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 people who are nearing the end of their life to deal with pain management and stuff like that. And I'm not Ooh. saying that I'm not saying that psilocybin is the, is the, is the, uh, is the substitute for that. But, but, um, there are, there are things that are, there are things that are better, that are better for that. And, and in the way that, that we all know that there is a very negative outcome to recreational opioid use. <sighs> Is there but, ever? But really, but <laughs> but but really not with psilocybin. I mean, it's like and it's we see, crazy. but we see, we also at the same time see the medical benefit of opioid use in a medical setting yeah, to sure. treat pain, right? So I mean, it's right. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure that you. It's sure interesting you that argue. you can't see like like in the way that the world sees. I shouldn't say in the way that some people see psilocybin use right now. For example, it's only like negative or recreational use that they see it as. But and there are zero advocates are... for recreational opioid use. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> zero. Which is I wouldn't why say there's so zero different. advocates. Well, I'm sure yeah, there's but, people out there that are like, the, dude, the, bro. I'm telling you, bro. The just to like put it's a so pin worth this, it. Um, just to put a pin in this, it's like it's like what uh, when you brought it up to uh, Doctor Emily Anhalt and mentioned, you know, that psilocybin use could be the catalyst to like see things differently and. And um, I kind of mentioned it, but like be the spark that ignites that flame. But the only thing that's going to keep that burning is coupling that with uh, therapy or Mm. like seeking out other ways to basically um, therapeutic ways to keep that flame burning. Like it's not it's not just like you can keep doing psilocybin on a weekly basis and that's going to be enough on its own. Like just because you have that perspective shift doesn't mean that um it's just going to stay like that mm-hmm. you need to work on it and i wonder if it will be i wonder if it will be uh, you know down the road 
because obviously this is a, a huge milestone and that opens more doors and, and, and sees people, uh, or allows people to see it in a different way. And I wonder, I wonder to that, to that point, Bri, that I, I wonder if, I wonder if it will, um, be like ever be used in therapy in the way that's like, that's like, if you're, if you're, if you're a type of person that is like super, super guarded Mm-hmm. and actually actually getting to your to your emotions is like is it's just like a locked vault and you just can't get there if it's like used mm. as a tool for opening for opening that up and allowing and allowing in therapy with a therapist like a, a therapist to, to access to access how you're actually feeling because yeah. like you're just yeah. not capable of opening that vault mm. exactly well, it I makes mean, you vulnerable with yourself mm. yeah it, that 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 exact point is why I feel like so you know while all this work is going on, there's also work being done in North America of um, of using MDMA as a as a as a tool to to for therapy for people who live with PTSD, and so like that totally makes sense to me, right? It's like it is you know someone with PTSD, of course they're going to be like guarded and locked up, and and there's going to be stuff that's like buried deep and what happens when we take mdma we we were like we, it's it's a it's a it's not contraction it is it's it's expansion mm-hmm. it's opening up it's it's it is know, funny because i feel shedding. like like when you when you bring up mdma as a um like therapeutic drug or for therapeutic druggies um i have this like little bit of like sense of like stigma and feeling inside of me that it's like Oh, but that's like, but that's not quite the same as psilocybin. Like, I don't know why I have, I, I understand that it's used in, it's being used in studies to treat PTSD. And I, and I really see the value in it rationally and logically, but there's something inside of me that's like, that's that party drug thing that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. You're just, mm-hmm. you just got, that's your, you're just a product of your environment. Dude. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's a feeling. And also, that, like, I'll, I tell you, of, Brian, I'm I'll tell you, Brian, I'll tell you, what will complete, what will completely shift that mode of thinking, Brian, is I'm going to come over to, I'm going to come over today. I'm going to bring, and I'm going to, I'm going to crush up a bunch of Molly. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring it over in a bag and I'm going to, what, what I'll get you to do is lick your finger, kind of like a fun dip, dip it in, get a nice big old like swath of powder on your, on your finger. And then fun dip your finger right up into your butthole. Oh, nice. This we call boofing. So you oh boof that Molly right up into your ass. And just the immediate euphoria you're going to feel. You'll just, yeah. all those thoughts of, 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 of party drugs or whatever, that'll just shed away. Anyway, glad we that ended more that important sure. piece on that. Uh, no, do it. Go, go to the beach and do that. That sounds like it would be fun. Mm-hmm. Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
Speaking of going to the beach, it's like it's beach season. And uh, I think that look at this professional transition. (laughs) Thank you. So, yeah, no, it's beach season. I myself like I took the day off work so I could go to the beach with my friend to help celebrate her birthday. And like I I found this uh, on I think it was Twitter. So have you guys heard of the hashtag med bikini thing? I'm familiar with this. Yes, on this one as well. I'm a no. So basically it all started when three, uh, so basically a study was published uh, in the Journal of Vascular Surgery, which has been retracted since publication. That journal sounds uh, thrilling. That's one of my favorite <laughs> journals. I mean, I've got so many of those on my <laughs> nightstand that I just can't put down. Uh, so anyway, this study was authored by unsurprisingly three men. Are you, was it you guys? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was actually. Uh, I've gone under my I can either we publish as one name. (laughs) (laughs) So this this study was published by three men, and basically um, the title of it was "Prevalence of Unprofessional Social Media Content Among Young Vascular Surgeons." So basically, what they did is they made that is hold on that is so that is someone broke up with this person, okay? And this and this someone fucking dumped these dudes, and they were like. Let's get let's fucking get them back. It's I just so wonder specific. to the practice. Well, exactly. It's like they appointed themselves like the fun police for their yeah. the, the young professionals in their cohort. So anyway, so basically, um, they they monitored 480 vascular surgeons who graduated between 2016 and 2018. They like creeped all their accounts <laughs> looking yeah. for quote unquote clearly unprofessional conduct and potentially unprofessional conduct. So that includes things like um, breaking the law, appearing intoxicated, using drugs, or making offensive profane comments. But mostly what they focused on um, was inappropriate attire, which is defined as pictures in underwear, provocative Halloween costumes, and provocative posing in bikinis slash swimwear. And as somebody that's uh, a participant in the hashtag med bikini, like a leader in it, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Yalda Safai. Uh, Yalda says, let's not kid ourselves. When they were talking about pictures and swimwear and bikinis, they were clearly talking about women. Oh, yeah. This is like so, this is a total slut shaming campaign. Absolutely. It was a slut shaming campaign that was published in a medical fucking journal. But I don't get what like what value does that um, publication provide? Like what or that 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 journal? Like what what does well, it provide? Like what is well, the outcome s- of doing this? Well, usually I would imagine it's a scientific journal where, you know, <laughs> the, the studies are published that, to advance knowledge in vascular surgery. But instead of like actually advancing knowledge in their field, these three assholes just slut shamed women <laughs> and it I was published. Like, I feel like, like these guys, like I'm picturing these guys and I just picture three guys that like. Like they're sitting, they're getting together and they're like, they're like, and like put it like, you know, finding all these photos and they're like, as they're going, oh, that, uh, that one there, like, there's a lot of, a lot of cleavage on that one. I bet we're going to put that in the, put that in the vault for what we're going to use for evidence. And then it's like, and then they go, Hey guys, can, do you guys agree with me? Uh, giving oral sex is gross. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, all you have to do is all, all you have to do is is look at. I mean, you got you guys have uh, you guys have listened to the podcast that Rogan did with uh, James Lindsay. James I can't Lindsay, remember the yeah. other guy. 
and to to just get a sense of how, uh, of the state of disrepair that that like scientific journals uh, and like scientific publications are in mm-hmm. because these guys these guys basically it to 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 summarize it as succinctly as possible they so these guys they publish all these or they they don't publish they write all these papers something some crazy amount of papers like it was between like 50 and 70 or something like that and they sort of lay out um in the in the in the conversation that the that the hope for a really successful uh scientist is that they get some they get like a ha- if you get a handful of 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 things published in your <clears throat> in your academic career that's like really great and these these it was a team of three people who co-wrote all these all these papers and they got something like 20 of them published and they catered to a certain type of like writing that they thought these publications would like and they got so many of them accepted so it was just like an example of how like how i'm at the same time as this medical as this like med bikini thing is insane it's not like after knowing that the, that is the state that 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 mm. that, that thing I is think the, in, it's not as it's not that crazy to me I, I, that something <laughs> ridiculous got published. I think it's yeah. really important to to highlight the fact though that there are a ton of different scientific journals and there because I don't want to like perpetuate this idea that like oh now you can't trust things in scientific journals because. There are for sure academic journals that are easier you can't to get trust, published Brian, in. You can't trust anything. Wait, you can't I trust know, the government I want to be because aliens exist and they've been lying to us this entire <laughs> fucking time. And they have crafts that are not of this world. Anyway, continue. So I was I was looking into like um, like how do we know that the writing that we're reading in scientific journals or academic journals is is um, accurate or factual? I mean, if they get published, they should be peer reviewed. And but the thing is, is that there's something called um, an impact factor. Have you have you heard of this? Nope. No, so, Brian, why don't you, please uh, read the uh, read the article there for me so like I can see. So I, I, know br- I did bring about. it up so that I don't fuck this up. Um, but I actually learned about this on TikTok, you guys. So oh. just saying. Oh, uh, to TikTok. You know what? We're going to move into TikTok <laughs> right after this to, to wrap things up before we okay. go to our conversation. Because um, uh, anyway, but continue. But the impact factor is is basically how often an article is cited in other work. So if it's mm. cited more frequently, then uh, odds are that the Higher study impact. is really relevant and it has a really high impact. And um, what it says here on Wikipedia is that the impact factor of an academic journal is a science scientometric in it. That sounds fake guys. We can't trust this now. <laughs> it's a scientometric in- index that reflects the yearly average number of citations that articles published in the last two years in a given journal received. It is frequently used as a proxy for the relative importance of a journal within its field. Journals with higher impact factors are often deemed to be more important than those with lower ones. So there was this example of a, a journal in Spain on uh, uh, neurology that was saying that um, masks aren't effective to wear. Um, but the study, when you actually read the study, it's not directly saying that. It's saying that they didn't have enough evidence. And the article has only been cited like a handful of times 
or or less than that. And it had a it had a an impact factor score of like 0.5, whereas like um, you know the Lancet or Nature have like impact factors mm. of mm. Uh, somewhere in the 69 90s, like seventy five like to, yeah, to, right. yeah. to yeah. ninety. Well, that's why it's so, really important to say that, Brad, because it highlights the subjectivity of the journals themselves, and and that it it but it, it it's important because. I don't think it, I don't think anybody knows that, right? What the impact factor is of the Journal of Vascular Surgery? Yeah, yeah. 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 but <laughs> said it a lot now. Yeah, well, so what they what they said uh, the editors of the journal when they retracted this article they re- they wrote the review process failed to identify the errors in the design of the study with regards to conscious and unconscious bias. And sounds I just, like a bunch. Of, that sounds like incel speak to me. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm, uh, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical, but also, like as as Safai points out, uh, the doctor um, that kind of spearheaded uh, the movement here, she says these doctors didn't know they were a part of the study, so it violated the principle of informed consent too. Yeah, like dude. it was, yeah. it's just wild. Like I definitely agree with you, Brian, that it's important to uphold science. Um, but at the same time, we need to to hold institutions like scientific journals to account, or else, what are they for? That's totally, right. and this is a good way to do it by by understanding impact factor and site scores, and then looking into that and seeing if the information that you're reading is in fact accurate, or yeah. if it is being received well by other members in the scientific community. And especially when the they uphold problematic structures like sexism, like racism, mm-hmm. like ableism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it ain't right. Dude, those are hilarious. I'm I'm on this CNN article about this, and there's there's this Twitter post that says from this from this uh, from this doc, uh, it looks like her and her husband or her boyfriend are 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 both gynecologists, and it says couple of quote unquote unprofessional obstetrician gynecologists right here, but only one of us has been called sweetie, kiddo, and or honey in front of patients. <laughs> oh fuck, that hurts my soul. <clears throat> I, I had a yeah I had a I had um, someone call me uh, that when they gave me my coffee the other day kiddo uh, no no <laughs> she said what did she call me she said uh, daddy like, here, here you go sugar tits and I was like <laughs> what <laughs> no no she didn't say sugar tits but she did she did say like she was like here you go like sweet plum or something like that oh, and like I, I I was yeah. kind of like I was like oh. Like I mean, I I think that's sweetie. I was partially taken back and angry, and then another part of me was like, like, "But imagine that being your life all the time." I I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas being fucking called "honey, sweetie" by every man older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor does that a lot. Actually, he's he'll be like, "Hey, what's up, love? What's up, my love?" I say love. Hello, hello, my love. I say love, but I say and every time I say, you do, I go. But I also oh, say, they don't but want I also that. say, dude they don't want that from you, dude. I also say, dude and man, a lot <laughs> to true. everybody. Yeah, bro. Um, so uh, we sh- we really should move into our, our episode here because um, no, let's just keep this going. All right, cool. Sweet. I'm, glad, <laughs> okay, I'm glad you said that, Brian, because I did want to t- touch on the fact that uh, what, Brian, I want to know. I just want to know how does it feel to know that TikTok is about to be banned for life in basic I mean like let's be real in North America guys I just want to say that you know me I really like to be vulnerable and I want to just open up here and discuss something that I've been having a, a hard time with yep it's it's uh it's hard to manage a, a another 
social media account and start it from scratch and build it with content that, you know, the people are going to really connect with. And so people going. I've, I've, I've felt, <laughs> I felt the pressures of producing high quality content that represent, <laughs> represents the brand of sick boy in, in the, in the TikTok space, mainly because there's so much other great content on TikTok that I feel like I'm competing with really amazing creators. Every time you say try content, to finish, it try to finish my, this. It makes my yeah. neck hurt. Yeah, it it try to finish fucking, this without saying content or creator again. It makes me feel like I have like gonorrhea in my actually, throat. The influencers oh, there actually exerting a lot of influence on, you know, positively on other members in the content creation community. Oh my god, and dude! <laughs> stop using all those words. And so space, don't say space again. I've been trying to find my path in this ecosystem to adequately represent our brand image, you know, oh, dude, and really connect with. Watch other synergies coming up here. I can, I can creators. <laughs> I'm throwing up all over my computer. And 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 in all honesty, um, the fact that. TikTok is is possibly going to be banned in the United States unless it's sold to an American business owner. Then yeah, um, who's trying to control everybody with the microchips? Yeah, right. That's not. I hate that's this. Crazy. Hey, you know what's uh, more um, important I'm, I'm than happy. all of this? I'm, I'm happy that uh, I've. I'm happy not that TikTok is being sold. I want. To, I, I want to continue looking at TikToks, but I don't want to feel the pressure to make them anymore. You guys. Sweet. I'm so glad because I was never, I never gave you consent to uh, build a TikTok on our behalf. And so I'm glad that we don't have to worry about Sick Boys TikTok anymore. Also, I have and so neither much do good our, content and I can produce under my own name, but I don't, uh, I just don't, I don't want to do it on Sick Boys. Brad, Jer so really actually you wants you to me shut on, up. You can follow me on TikTok <laughs> at Brian Seaver. I'm just going to go ahead and just change Sick just Boys change to my sick name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That would be really well. funny. Uh, this week on Feel Good Friday, we kick we kick into high fucking gear with Dr. David Kyle Johnson. But we, so his name is Dr. <laughs> David Kyle Johnson, PhD, and uh, and we call him David throughout the entire interview. Turns out he goes by Kyle. That's not what we called him. Found out later in an email when he sent an email to me after the recording and signed Kyle and Lauren also said, hey, Kyle, thanks for the thanks for that was really great. Kyle, thanks so much. And then I was like, hey, guys, just checking in here. Uh, is your name Kyle? Because we called you David for the whole episode. And 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 Kyle was like, yeah, Brian, uh, Brian, call me David. I just didn't want to correct him. So just went yeah, with it. So well, I feel like you have to I feel like you have to. If you go by your middle name, you should just say, I go you know by what? my middle name. It, it would be a lot of work. You know what I should do, though, is I should just... Kyle. <laughs> I should take that and then cut that <laughs> in every in. time one of us says David. You know, Guys, I just... I, I, just uh, I, 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 I it, it started as a thing. I forgot to correct you initially, and then it kind of snowballed, and then I kept forgetting, and then it became a thing, and I didn't want to say anything, and... You guys have been calling me Taylor for <laughs> five years. Um, I go, I go by Hannon. <laughs> okay. My middle name. Well, and, uh, actually, your middle name. name. Yeah, and it rolls off the tongue so well. I, I thought that's, that's a nice why, name. That's why I. That's why I chose. I choose to go by my middle name. Dude, is that I actually your middle name, Taylor? Taylor yeah. Hannon McGillery? You didn't know that. Yeah, it's what I go by, dude. You haven't noticed that no one else calls me Taylor. 
No. You know, it's funny. I thought when you I first haven't. told me, when we were like 10 and you first told me that your name, your middle name was Hannon, I thought you no forgot one believes the S me. on Shannon. <laughs> I thought I thought you were like, oh, no. I was like, no, it's, it's Hannon Shannon. isn't a name. Yeah. No one it's believes me. It's definitely Shannon. It's your my, name is Taylor it's Shannon, but you just don't want to go by it. All right, guys, we got to get into this conversation. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Actually, Kyle, do Dr. Middle name? Dr. David Kyle Johnson, Dr. Kyle Johnson, Dr. David, Dr. Johnson, Dr. D, D, D. Uh, call him whatever you want. He won't correct you. Uh, <laughs> we talk about pseudoscience and uh, COVID-19. And I'm telling you right now. He's awesome. Uh, he is fucking amazing. Can't wait to have him back on the show. Um, he he gets deep into the world of pseudoscience. Um, David is a, an expert in, in philosophy uh, of science and scientific reasoning at King's College in uh, down in Pennsylvania. Um, and... Uh, here's an, here's another little thing. I think you can change your uh, podcast play uh, um, uh, speed uh, to uh, you could you could slow this one down to point five and still st- and probably be better off to make out because uh, Kyle talks one trillion miles a second and uh, and does He's not so falter. Smart. And so if you want to if you want to retain the smartness that is coming out of this man's mouth, um, just you know maybe slow slow down your your podcast speed. Because uh, he's he's incredible. We had such a good time talking about um, about uh, the pseudoscience behind mask uh, mask deniers and five G conspiracy theories, and uh, it's just fucking awesome, awesome stuff. So uh, big shout out to Kyle, David, 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 Kyle, Kyle Johnson, Kyle Johnson, David, uh, PhD, Doctor David, Kyle Johnson. <laughs> uh, we will be back after this. Uh, here we are once again, another feel good Friday. And, uh, I think, I think after this conversation, we're going to feel really good. Uh, I need some of this. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to introduce our guest today. We were talking to Dr. David Kyle Johnson. Uh, I, I'm going to ask the question I've been asking over the last few weeks. Uh, are you a, are you a doctor doctor or are you a, a, a medical doctor or a smart, a smart person doctor? Smart person doctor. I have a PhD in philosophy. My concentrations in philosophy, religion, and logic. Uh, and so the kinds of things I teach are critical thinking, um, and, uh, like logic classes, critical thinking, scientific reasoning. So we're going to talk about masks obviously and, and pseudoscience around the COVID stuff. And so that's my qualifications here. I am not a medical doctor. I am not an epidemiologist. I'm not an immunologist. Uh, so I do not do research on those particular topics. I rely on people who are those things when I'm researching this kind of stuff, right? I look at their articles, right? Um, but I... The reason that I, uh, I, I've been publishing on this kind of stuff is because I do critical thinking and I, I teach on scientific reasoning and medical reasoning. Uh, for example, I specifically teach a, a course on medical reasoning, uh, too. And I just kind of started teaching it, um, at the request of our, we have a, a PA program at the, at the college I, I work at, which is a physician assistant program. And so I have people who are going to be physicians assistants who come in and they need to know better how to diagnose stuff, how to do diagnosis. And so sure. I teach a general kind of, I teach a class about general scientific reasoning and how scientific reasoning works. And specifically I teach something called inference to the best explanation, which arguably is what all scientific reasoning is and then they learn how to apply that 
to diagnosis whenever they're kind of outside my classroom, but I teach them specifically how to do uh, that inference of the best explanation. And then in addition in that class, and this is something, another reason that I'm, I'm qualified for this, we talk a lot about pseudoscience and a lot yes. about medical pseudoscience in particular. So for example, in that, that class is titled Scientific, Pseudoscientific, and Medical Reasoning. That's the title of the class. Their midterm paper in that class is everyone gets a different pseudoscience as a topic for their paper, and they have to use inference to the best explanation to research and come to a conclusion about whether that pseudoscience is real or not. And of course, in every case, it's not real. But um, do they know beforehand <laughs> that it is pseudoscience? Yeah, or they, they kind of given- they kind of have a an inkling that it's going to be pseudoscience, and so there's a little bit of a like they, they kind of know what to expect, but not always. Right. So, for example. Um, I, somebody wrote, like, I taught this class last semester, and right as the term paper was due right about the time that we got pushed online and the pandemic mm-hmm. was hitting, mm-hmm. and somebody wrote on masks for mm-hmm. that pseudoscience mm-hmm. paper, right? Okay, um, yes. So I was going to say, what, what are some examples of pseudoscience, of medical pseudoscience, but masks would be, yeah. would be an example of where there is, there is this, like, there is this wave of pseudoscience happening around the idea of wearing masks and whether masks are effective or not effective, yada, yada, yada. Yes, yes. Let me, let me actually just pull up the, the paper. The, uh... Sorry to interrupt you, but I was just going to say, before we get into that, can you just quickly define what pseudoscience is and what in, was, is it inference to the best explanation? Inference to the best explanation, yeah. Okay, so um, let me define that first, and then I'll do pseudoscience, and I'm going to give you a list of some examples of pseudoscience. Okay? Cool, cool. So inference to the best explanation is a method of reasoning by which you look at different possible explanations for something, and then you have criteria by which you, like, by, by, by kind of what a good explanation should do by definition, and you weigh the explanations based on that criteria to try to figure out which one is actually the best explanation. Okay. The criteria Dude, are like, usually. This is like the, like the alien debate. This is why. Yes, like, it is I feel very, like... very relevant to the alien yes. debate. Because we, the the Bob Lazar stuff is crazy, and there's a uh, better yeah, inference yeah. Okay, for the best shut the fuck up, Ryan. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about oh, pseudoscience and medicine, <laughs> not aliens. Yeah, anyway, we'll just shut that. So okay, so well, if you uh, the book I use in class that I've used for 15 years that is absolutely fantastic on this is called it's Ted Schick and Louis Vaughn's How to Think About Weird Things. And they go into detail about how to do this. And there's a whole section on aliens and UFOs and that kind of stuff. And they talk all about that. And you can look into that more if you want to. All right. So, but, but, but what you do, like the kind of criteria that you use when you're doing inference to the best explanation are you ask things like, is the hypothesis or the explanation, is it testable? Does it make any kind of observable prediction? And if it does, then secondly, does it actually get those predictions right? So this is about testability and fruitfulness doing experiments in the lab. Then you ask, is uh, how, how much scope does it have? And what, do I, what we mean by scope is explanatory power. How much does it explain? And as it's explaining, does it raise un, uh, other unanswerable questions that can't be answered? And the more it does that, the less scope that it has. Right. So if you, you know, if you're wondering why a bridge collapsed and somebody says, oh, a gremlin zapped it with an uncomprehensible force. (laughs) Right. Like that's not a good explanation because that raises other questions that. Right. And then simplicity. Does it invoke extra entities? Does it invoke extra assumptions that you have to make to make the explanation work? Right. And lastly, it's, it's called conservatism. It just means does it cohere with what we already have good reason to believe? And basically, okay. when you're doing 
that inference is the best explanation. You look at different possible explanations. You see how well each one of them fits the, the five criteria. And if one clearly fits the five better than the other, that's the better explanation, right? Okay. Um, where you have like... Um, my friend Massimo Pigliucci has got a book about the borderland, and they actually used to do a, a podcast on the borderlands between reason and nonsense. And there, there, can, there can just be this borderland between science and pseudoscience. When you're on the cutting edge of science, it's not quite clear uh, uh, which one is which one is science and which one is pseudoscience. So, for example, um, if you're trying to get a, a theory of everything, string theory is 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 in this weird place where it like to make it work it's not simple you have to make assumptions about like 21 extra dimensions and that kind of stuff right. so it, it's not simple but it explains fucking everything can i swear i'm sorry it oh, explains yeah, yeah. <laughs> it explains everything and so it has really strong explanatory power but not that much simplicity and and maybe there's some unanswerable questions that it raises and so there's like interpretations of quantum mechanics are like this uh mm. there's different interpretations of quantum mechanics where like you can either think that there's multiple universes or you can think that things can travel faster than the speed of light well multiple universes isn't simple faster than the speed of light contradicts relativity and so that's not that's not conservative that conflicts what we think mm. how do you make a decision mm -hmm. right so mm. there can be ties right but then there are also cases where there's not a tie at all and clearly this hypothesis is all five and this one only has one or none right uh so like right. a really good example the first example that schick uses in his book about uh, pseudoscience is homeopathy right and homeopathy fails on all five criteria Right. And that the, the alternate hypothesis is anytime anyone thinks hypo uh, uh, hip, um, homeopathy works, it's just the placebo effect. And that fits all five criteria. Right. Um, and so a pseudoscience, so that transitions nice into what a pseudoscience is. What a pseudoscience is, is it's very aptly named. It's something that kind of looks like science, but isn't. And pseudoscientists usually are those that try to present something that isn't science or doesn't have scientific backing, and they try to make it look like it does have scientific backing, and it is scientific when it actually isn't. And like so it's, the idea of homeopathy, where they take they take a, a certain essence of yes. of whatever the medication is that they're trying to use, they water it down, but there's like memory in the water. Or, or like this, this molecule retains memory. Yes. And so a watered down molecule of whatever the fuck, like an antihistamine that's been watered down, 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 <laughs> right. holds the memory and you take it and then it's like, okay, great. You're, it, it works just as good as, as a real antihistamine. Yes. Right. Or, I mean, even like, it's not even antihistamine, right? They'll, they'll, so the way homeopathy is supposed to work, right, is that they will, t whatever causes a symptom, right, if you dilute that enough, right. it will right. reverse the effect and cure that symptom. But that right? makes sense. Oh yeah, the total sense, right? Like that's <laughs> right. Like that. That's exactly what dilution does. It doesn't make something less effective. It reverses its effect and makes it more yeah, effective. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense, which makes it non-conservative, right? And that's one right, reason that right. it's a pseudoscience, right? But right, like here's a really good example of how it's pseudoscience. Um, the way that they test homeopathic homeopathic remedies is that they will give people certain substances, right? Then they will observe what symptoms that they have, right? Like a stomach ache or it causes a headache or whatever, right? And then they will just conclude from that that if you dilute that, that, dilute that substance, it will cure that symptom. So if I give you arsenic and it gives you a stomach ache, well, then if I dilute that, that will cure your stomach ache, right? And right. they call that, they call that process a proving Right, sure. Yeah, which, which sounds scientific, 
The right? whole thing didn't even compute to me. I was like, right. wait, what? <laughs> no, but but yeah, still, but so they'll leave wild. that out. They'll leave out the part of kind of what they're doing. They'll just say, oh, we showed in a proving that oh. arsenic, like our diluted arsenic, uh, you know, uh, remedy cures a stomachache. Right? No, you didn't show that. Misleading word. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but they use that word proving, and, and they say the proving showed that it worked. No, it didn't. It showed that it gave that guy a stomachache. Right. And he was lucky it didn't kill him. But mm. right, like that's all it showed. Right. But you're mm. calling it a proving, saying it proved that, and it didn't prove anything. Right. Mm-hmm. But it sounds scientific, and so this is what pseudoscientists do. And we'll give some when we talk about masks. We'll give I'll give you some examples of exactly how pseudoscientists do exactly that. They they give you something sure. that sounds scientific, and it's not. Yeah, so so we find ourselves now in you know in, in the middle of 2020, uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, um, and it, it's it seems like there, it I mean God everything is so fucked that it just seems like every day there's some new theory coming out um, mm-hmm. where where there's like beliefs or, or 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 people are just like kind of kind of being being sucked into believing. What from where it's from what it looks like from where I'm standing is just complete and utter horseshit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like masks is this one that continuously comes up, and then and then you've got even wackier ones like, like you know, 5G, fucking, it's like 5G, <laughs> and like Bill Gates is gonna put a chip in you that'll right, make right. You, your kids have autism and then he'll own you or whatever, whatever the fuck. Right. So, well, where like where where. Where does I mean, that come from? Why are people doing that? Yeah, I, I, so I just finished listening to this podcast. Um, Taylor actually listened to the whole thing today, called Rabbit Hole, and it was really interesting. It was about it was about this young man who was basically like addicted to YouTube and fell into this like YouTube rabbit hole that brought him into the world of um, of like like hardcore into the <clears throat> the belief. Of like the alt right world, right, mm-hmm. right, <clears throat> and all of this is just due to this robotic algorithm, this like AI that is essentially force feeding him what the next video he should watch is, and it's this like echo chamber, mm-hmm. and it leads him down even further to the next, you know, the next talking head who's talking about whatever, spouting whatever alt right bullshit, and he's just eating it up, eating it up constantly, 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 and then the next thing he knows, he's knocking on like. You know, anti-Semitism and and really hardcore racism thoughts right. door, right? Um, where where he was not there a year prior, right? So so I and while I'm listening to this, I can't help but think to myself, like, is all is all this all this mask bullshit and all this five G bullshit? Like, is is are we is the internet is social media the the reason why the world is so fucked up right now in terms of the way that we have. Where, where it seems like a lot of us have lost this ability to have critical thinking and to see things clearly. It's, it's amplified it, I think, but it's not the okay. only reason. So um, what's his name? Uh, 20, 21 Lessons for the 20, 21st Century. That book, I forget the author's name offhand. He does a pretty good job in that, um, in that book. At, I think it's towards the end, laying out the case that this is not a new phenomenon. People lacking critical thinking skills and buying into conspiracy theories and being dumb in the way that you're describing is not right. new. People have been doing it for a long, long time. People did it after the Civil War. They did it during the Revolution. They did it. It's just on and on and on and on. It's, it's, it's been happening for a long time. Social media amplifies it. 
and gets people that otherwise wouldn't have access to this kind of stuff that would lead them astray access to it. And it does create that feedback loop and that information bubble that gets people, you know, that, that puts pushes people down this, this kind of rabbit hole, mm. right? But that is also how people get into cults. And that happened long before the internet. Um, this sure. is how this is how people get into ISIS and that kind of stuff, right? Like, um, and it's not always it's not just just through social media and YouTube and that kind of stuff, but it can amplify it. But mm. there is a, I mean, and you, and why do people lack those those critical thinking skills? I could go on and on about that um, because they are not as, as somebody who teaches critical thinking, they are not emphasized enough, even in colleges. Colleges do not emphasize critical thinking enough. Every college should require a critical thinking course of their students, and they don't all do that. Um, mm. I kind of have to sneak it into other courses because we don't require a critical thinking course anymore. Um, but I sneak it into like sneak it in like we did a liberal arts seminar, and it was supposed to be critical thinking and critical reading, and I really concentrated on the critical thinking. I teach it in all my philosophy classes. I teach it in my that medical medical pseudoscience class. I teach it in there, in, you know, like crazy, and. A lot of people think they're teaching critical thinking by just saying that they're critically analyzing text and stuff like that. And that's not what's going. That's not critical thinking. Um, and it's not taught in high schools and it's not it could be taught all the way down to the grade school level and it's not taught there. And so you could talk all about how our education system has been kind of mm. fluffed away and not all that stuff is taught there. And so it's there's there's multiple reasons for why people don't have these critical thinking abilities um, and they're not they're not even emphasized in science programs as much as as much as they should be. Right. But mm. all, all of that. So let me say one more thing and then I'll, I'll let you. Sure. But yeah. the reason that the world is on fire with conspiracy theories now has a bit to do with the kind of psychology that goes behind conspiracy theories. Um, and so this is something I, when we talk about conspiracy theories in my critical thinking class, what motivates critical uh, uh, conspiracy theories more than anything is uh, what's called the representative heuristic. I call it the like, the, the like causes like fallacy. There's another name for it. And I can't remember it off the top of my head uh, that I just learned the other day. Um, but the idea is that whatever, whatever an effect, whatever a cause or whatever an effect is, the cause must resemble that effect. Okay. Um, and so this is behind like voodoo dolls have this, like if you take a voodoo doll that looks like someone and you poke it, the person who looks like the voodoo doll will feel pain. Like that's the light mm. causes light fallacy mm. with conspiracy theories. It works where if you have a big event, well, it can't have a simple cause. It must have a big cause. Right. And so, uh, there's a, there was a study, uh, done where they gave people a news report and the description of the incident was the same. It was your news report of an assassination, not an assassination that really happened, but it was a description of the assassination. And the only difference between the reports was essentially that the person was killed, the person was injured or the person just, they missed and it wasn't injured at all. And they asked people, what do you think is the cause of this? And this story is the one that everybody wanted a conspiracy th where, where the guy was actually shot and killed had to have been a conspiracy, right? There must've right. been the Illuminati must've been behind it or whatever. If they're just injured or if they make it out unscathed, nobody thought it's there hard. was a conspiracy, right. right? Yeah, yeah. But literally yeah. notice that the only difference between those stories is the gun is here versus here versus here, mm. right? Like that's the mm -hmm. only actual physical difference between the same guy, same place, same access, whatever. Either the guy mm. shot and killed him or he wounded him or he missed, Right. That's the only difference in those stories. Right. But because the assassination attempt being successful is a bigger story, people are psychologically apt to invent bigger explanations for them, even though mm. the simple one will do. This is why there are giant conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination, but not the Reagan one, because when Reagan was shot, he was just wounded and got over it. 
right? right. It wasn't a big event, so people didn't have to have a big cause for it. Um, and so that's since the pandemic is such a worldwide huge event, conspiracy theories are all over the place because people are right. longing for that big explanation. Is there, I know that you... a, uh, is there a, is there a, is critical thinking, you know, when I, is critical thinking, um, if you, if you boiled it down, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. No, Siri. No. <laughs> she's critically Conspiracy listening. She's, criti- she's critically time. listening. The government's <laughs> yeah, listening. Yeah, to everything I say. Um, is critical thinking, if you boiled it down, would it, w- like, is there, is there really something that when somebody is learning to critically think about whatever the information is that they're downloading from the world around them, mm-hmm. is it is it essentially to be able to remove the way that somebody uh, subjectively feels about something and to and to to view something through an objective lens in the in, in the way that we seem to be in an er, in an era where subjectivity is, like reigns supreme and however yeah. you feel about something is the way that it is rather than it being kind of fact-based or um, like there being like objective truths to, to the world around us that we seem to be ignoring sometimes. Yes. Like, yeah. So let me say a couple of things about that. One, we were talking off air about the right to your opinion. Right. Right. This is one of the things that I have to get like on the table on the first day of my classes that you don't automatically have a right to opinion. You have a legal right. No one can throw you in jail for saying what you, what you want to say or whatever, or believing what you want to believe but you don't automatically have an epistemic or moral right. In other words, the mere fact that you want to believe something doesn't make that belief justified. Mm-hmm. Justification has to be earned. For in order for you to say that you have a right in the epistemic sense, in the moral sense, that I am justified in believing something, you have to have evidence and an argument for it. You can't just say, well, I want to, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's lesson number one that I teach. Lesson number two is that the fact that something feels true to you is not a reason to think that it's, that it's true. Mm-hmm. I do this in this, this article I have about Colbert. Colbert was all about truthiness and thinking from the gut. Right. And if, if it feels true, then it is true. Right. And he used to say, he used to say like, you know, did you know that, uh, you have more nerve endings in your gut than in your brain? Now, some of you have may have looked that up and verified that that's not actually true, but that's because you looked it up in a book. I looked it up in my gut and my gut tells me I've got more nerve endings in my gut. Right. Like, like, and obviously that, that doesn't work. Right. But that that's that's something that stands in the way of critical thinking is this idea that if something feels true to you it is true mm-hmm. and a lot of people and this is related a lot of people think that critical thinking is just common sense when it's not because very often your common sense can lead you astray we have common sense shortcuts in our brain that are there for evolutionary purposes that made it more made us more likely to survive but they're not very good at actually getting to the truth And so one of the key factors in critical thinking is realizing how, A, your subjective experience, both your sight, your senses, and your memory, and your instinctive reasoning can lead you astray. It can, it can make you think something is there when it's not. It can make you remember something that never happened. It can make you think a, uh, a, an argument is good when it's not. This is what logical fallacies are all about. I teach logical mm-hmm. fallacies. I spent like three weeks on, the, on them in my, my, my logic course. Logical fallacies are these arguments that kind of look persuasive, but when you, they're not actually persuasive, they don't actually follow, right? But we find them intuitive because we have these shortcuts of reasoning. 
mm-hmm. in us, right? And so critical thinking, the, one of the key elements of critical thinking is realizing that your subjective experience of how things seems or how you remember it or how, how logical it sounds is not always reliable. And you have to, you have to learn how to think carefully and rationally and then realize that if if careful reasoning and rational reasoning show X, but your subjective reasoning shows not X, you got to ditch the subjective reasoning and go with the objective, right? You realize that the world's not always the way that you think it is. And there's so many emotional and there's so many emotional attachments, especially once yes. you form an opinion and you've 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 committed to the group that that you know mm-hmm. you're on the side of that then all of a sudden it's like oh now i got skin in the game like, i can't go back on my word now I, well, I, yes I, I, like, that, people feel so strongly about that that's exactly what i was i that's a, that's a nice segue into what i wanted to ask about too and it's the like this idea of this politicization of of facts uh, right so like it seems like i mean we hear the term fake news all the time now um and and it, to the point where news has almost become subjective and I'm curious what role um, politics, specifically to, to kind of come back to the, the mask uh, pseudoscience around wearing or not wearing masks, um, how, does, how do politics play into that? So there's something called the backfire effect. Um, have you guys heard of the backfire effect before? No. So the backfire effect is when you think that you're going to change someone's mind about something by presenting reason and evidence to them. And it backfires on you and they don't believe you. And in fact, they believe the wrong thing even stronger than when you began. So the the process backfires on you, right? Right. So this has been studied and it's been showed to to happen that like, you know, uh, one of the studies showed that like um, you had people that believe that George W. Bush or that that Saddam had uh, WMDs and you present people with the evidence that he didn't and they believe even harder that he did after it was done, right? Right. But further research on the backfire effect shows that it's not always present, It's only present whenever you're dealing with something, a belief that someone has that is part of their identity. So if I tell you that, like, if you believe that romaine lettuce is safe to eat, and then I say the CDC says that it might be affected with E. coli, coli, so maybe avoid that, a person's going to change on a dime. They'll go, oh, okay, well, then I won't buy, I'll buy a different kind of lettuce. No big deal, right? Like, they'll, there's no backfire effect there, right? Mm -hmm. But if they're anti-vaccine, and you tell them that the CDC says that vaccines are safe and effective, that's not going to have any effect on them at all. They will double down and believe vaccines are even more dangerous than when you started, right? Because being anti-vaccine is part of their identity. It is part of who they are, right? And so presenting facts is not going to undo that. And so as issues become politicized, since people see their political party as the team that they're on and they see that as part of their identity, party, uh. part of who they are is being this party, right? If that party takes a stand on an issue, regardless of whether it's scientific or not, right? If they take a stand on that issue, they're going to take that stand on that issue too. And if you try to correct them, they're just going to double down. Because it's now part of their identity, right? And uh, so what's happened is for some people, part of their very identity is being against masks. And so you can present all the evidence you want that they work and that they're safe and effective and they do what they're supposed to do in regards to helping curb the spread of COVID-19. And it ain't going to make any difference because right. it doesn't matter to them. It's part of their identity to be that way. And so... And did, is- it become, did it become a part of their identity because... You know, it took so long for the Trump administration to, like, get behind the idea of masks. I think you know, there's, like, 
go ahead. Uh, well, no, go ahead. Yeah, like that, I, I, mean, I think there's multiple the reasons. Like, like how did it become right. politicized, right? Um, mm. And I, I think that I mean, it definitely has something to do with Trump being anti-mask early on, and he's really still anti-mask. He's just worn it a couple times, right, and sure. said a couple of things yeah. or whatever, right? But then he then he contradicts that on Twitter or whatever two minutes later, right? Uh, and so that's that's part of it. Um, that is notice that we didn't have any of the kind of pseudoscience and skepticism about hand washing or anything like that. Right. Um, right. like nothing popped up because that's easy enough to do and everyone's washed their hands for a long time. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, but it, it's, you know, there's multiple ways that it becomes politicized, uh, to the fact that, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, uh, libertarian kind of inklings on, on that side of the political spectrum. Right. And so it's making you do something. And so you can, you can right. make it a, a political ideology that way. Right. Notice though, that they don't like, there's no libertarians out there arguing that, that you should be allowed to burn your trash during a burn ban. I don't know. Do you guys even sure, know what a burn yeah. ban is up there in Canada? Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. from, I'm from Oklahoma and we have droughts very often and it gets very dry <laughs> and we have these bans yeah. where you can't burn anything, right? Um, why? Because even if you're as careful as you can be, it can get out of control, right? And cause a lot of damage to other people. And so you can't do that. And no one's screaming like, well, that's, you know, my freedom, my freedom. I, I could burn my trash if I want, right? Like... We think if you I mean, ignore it, that anyway, go ahead. It seems like it seems like with everything and, and I, I have a, a kind of like a larger, I guess, question that I want to that I want to get to eventually about like how how it's like this on this side of the Atlantic. And in Europe, you really just don't get this like mass mass mask hysteria and all this juxtaposition between people who think different things about masks. I mean, right. I'm sure there's people, but it's just not on the same level. But right. like when I hear when I hear um, government officials um, in the U.S., especially in Trump, and he's asked questions about, you know, what do you think about masks? What do you think about this health protocol, that health protocol? What do you think about this statement? When he's asked things that seem ob- that are objectively, objectively, that you should just say, yes, they're they're help they're 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 helpful. They're more mm-hmm. helpful than they are harmful. Right. When when that seems like the that seems like probably the best if you're gonna just if you're gonna stay on the fence that's probably the best way to go. It almost seems like what comes first the chicken or the like he's he's almost like weighing in his head what comes first the chicken or the egg. It's mm-hmm. like it's like he's asked a question about masks and I can see him thinking in his head, my voters don't want to wear masks, so I'm not gonna tell them they have to wear masks. But then. They might have just gone, we're with you. We'll wear the mask if you say to tell us to do it. But he doesn't so that they don't. And then that becomes the stance. And it's like if 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 they are truly on your team, which he seems to think, you know, everyone's on his team. Say the thing that's going to help the whole country be safe. Right. But that's not what Trump cares about. Right. Trump cares about votes and his base. Right. And part of the base is this dis, there there is a there is a massive distrust of science in the base and it's been there for mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. right and so if he comes down and says well the science says x so maybe we should do x a big part of his base is going to go what no you don't trust science science does it right i mean this was on the simpsons years ago years and years ago but uh there was an episode where i think this was the one where an angel supposedly appeared to Lisa and she was trying to find a, 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 you know, an explanation for it or whatever. And Flanders didn't want to know, 
right? right. And there's literally mm-hmm. like 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 literally like there's a line something along the lines of science. Science wants to answer those questions. Well, I say that there's some things that science shouldn't answer because there's some things that we don't want to know that we shouldn't know. These things like they're supposed to remain unknown. And damn science for trying to answer these questions. These are things we shouldn't know, right? Um, this is uh, also akin to like you know. Um, Mo, whenever uh, the, the 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 comet or whatever, like the you know hits hits the hits the town or is going to hit the town or whatever, right? And at the end of the episode, Mo says, "Let's go burn down the observatory so this never happens again," right? Like, um, it, it's it's this same kind of anti-science attitude, right? And he realizes that his base is that way, and so if he comes out in favor of the science, and is that voters. the difference? Is that the difference in like America? Or North America, I'm, I, I don't want to lump Canada in because we really just don't think that we like generally as a population we're just not in the same place. That we there are sections of our population that are, but we're not generally in the same like debate right. as the U.S. is. Mm-hmm. But like, why why don't you hear why don't you hear this same thing happening in Europe? Is it a difference in the education? Is it a difference in how they teach critical thinking? Is it is it just a more widespread um, uh, trust in the way, the scientific process? I think all of those things play a factor. I personally, and I don't have research on this, but I personally think that one, and from this is from my own personal experience, so take it for yeah. what it's worth. Um, but religion plays a huge part in that because there has been oh. since with evolution, right? And evolution casting doubts on, you know, disproving a literal interpretation of scripture from, from start to finish. And there's a lot of people in America and a lot more per capita than there are in Europe and, you know, in, in, in England and France and, and Spain and that kind of stuff who take that stuff very seriously, not just being religious, but the Bible has to be true 100% from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. Right. And when evolution comes in and says, we have definitive evidence, like here's a fossil. Nope. Right. <laughs> they have to ca- they have to cast doubt on it. They have to say, well, science can't answer those kind of questions. Science doesn't know what to talk about. Science is flawed. Science can't find the answers or whatever. And so there is there has been this mistrust in science for generations in America because and it's more more in America than other places because we are more religious and more conservatively religious mm. than so, a lot of other places. And it's so like, it, it, it's like America has its own like American Christianity seems to be very different from from mm-hmm. from the rest of the world. You know, it's it like yes. I, I think I actually heard that referred to the other day as like as America has its own like a, American Christianity is yeah. very much American Christianity. You know, it's, it's Yes, it um, America different. Jesus holds an AK47 and waves yeah. Yeah. waves yeah. an American yeah. flag, right? Like Ride, yeah, and, rides but, an eagle. But, totally. But David yeah. like so when it comes to the backfire effect or somebody who is so like rooted in their beliefs or identifies so strongly with an idea as if it's part of them, you said that you can't present science to them and and argue with them or debate them logically on that. So how how do you change somebody's mind like that? Like how do we because I think the most important thing right now is that that we come together as a global community and do the things that we need to do to protect the well-being of each other and the thing that's frustrating is that we can't get certain groups of people to see the importance of you know take wearing masks for example right now right Right. so for some cases you you need a professional right like literally there is a cult mentality behind some of it and Mm. you don't have and i don't have and you don't have the professional acumen to decult someone right to, to deprogram someone out of a cult right but that's not that's not all people right that's not that's not even the majority but there are some people that are that deep into it right um if it's someone that you're just an acquaintance with you're probably not going to change their mind so this is why and this is a lesson that i need to learn myself 
God help me. It's, so you're not you're not going to change anyone's mind by arguing with them on Facebook, right? right? You might if other people are looking at the conversation and you can present the arguments logically and you know not come off as crazy and that kind of stuff. And again, I have trouble doing that myself. Um, you, you might persuade other people, but the person you're debating with is not going to change their mind, right? Mm. The only way to really change someone's mind is it's a long, arduous process. They have to be a friend of yours or, or you have to, they have to become a good friend. You have to befriend them. You have to be friendly. You have to present the evidence in such a way that you're not beating them over the head with it. Very often, instead of giving them the evidence, you do take like a Socratic method and you ask them questions and try to get them through their own reasoning process to draw the conclusion themselves. And if they will draw the conclusion themselves, then they're much more likely to change their mind on it. Exactly. But they have to they have to be like in a place where they can trust you and not think that you're just trying to berate them or call them stupid or something like that, right? Um, and that is hard. That takes multiple mm. conversations. It takes, right? And this yeah. is why if I ever try to try to teach a critical thinking course, I never do it in like a short summer two-week course or something like that because it doesn't work. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, Daryl Davis, uh, the the guy. He he was on Joe Rogan um, oh, right. yep. maybe about a year ago, but he has this like incredibly fascinating life story where he's this black man who who as a musician and was like a you know touring like a blues musician, and um, at some point in his life he met while on tour a a a white guy who who. Um, who expressed to him that he was a he was a, K- a KKK member, mm-hmm. and Daryl Davis instead of being like, uh, "Whoa, like we're not like my people don't mix with your people," we're like, right. "Fuck you, I'm I'm not having a conversation with you." He they he ended up striking up a conversation with this guy, and then next time he was in town, he called the guy up and and invited him out for another you know drink, a round of drinks and conversation and. And continued this, and, and it was like this cycle where every time he was in town, he would sit down with this guy and have a conversation. And eventually, this KKK member started to come to realize, like, whoa, right. this, this, like, this black guy that uh, I've been taught is my enemy and, and is <clears throat> inferior to me and, and should be, you know, should be, like, stupid and, and, and not, uh, you know, not, n- not capable of... of you know, being kind or whatever, whatever was going on in his head, he was he was going fuck. That's all. That's all a lie. That's all. None of that is true. And he, not one time did Daryl Davis, you know, berate him or 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 put him down. It, it was all based off of what you just said. These like conversations, not beating anything over anyone's head. Just just trying to you know befriend and and invite and allow. Uh, constructive conversation, meaningful yes. communication back and forth. And not only example. did this happen once, but Daryl, he did, he ended up doing this with like, it was something crazy, like, like 40 KKK like, members. No, it was like, it was, right. like, it was like more 200 than 200 or something crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, you're right. It was 200. That's right. Yeah. I got it here on NPR, an article, 200 of them. And they all just, they all just gave him their robes. You know, it's like, right. it's this wild, wild story, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's, that's uh, that's amazing, and that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, I'm terrible at it. I, I, I will I admit I like one on one with people and stuff like that. I'm terrible at it. What I am good at is with my students, and I and I'm basically kind of employing the same thing. The reason that a two week course on critical thinking doesn't work is because they don't get they don't have time to get to know me. Mm. It mm. takes a whole semester 
of teaching the lessons, showing how they apply, them going out into the real world, thinking about it, applying those, bringing that back to class, seeing me be passionate about it, seeing me explain it, and coming to trust me that I can that I can kind of do this and that I care about them, that I'm not doing it to try to make them look stupid. I'm trying to make them smarter and I'm trying to give them a better ability to navigate the world and not be bamboozled and fooled by people, right? And once mm. they kind of come to trust me and see what I'm doing and then it, they're more open to admitting that they were wrong about such and such and, right? And mm. I've actually, I used to do, I don't do this anymore. I used to do a pre and post test uh, for the class. It was really a survey about like, what kind of weird things do you believe now? And I would do it again mm. at the end of class and I would get a lot of turnover. A lot of people that cool. would change their views yeah, on all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. Um, but anyway. Kyle, what what do you like? What are your thoughts in terms of the you know the current outlook of of where we're at and where we're going, especially in 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 terms of like COVID and um, you know because all all of the all of the science that I've been reading and all of the the advice that we've been getting is that um, if we want to. If we want to see a change here, we need to we need to be we need to be advocating for wearing masks. We need to be practicing social distancing. We need to be doing these things that will prevent the spread of this of this virus. Um, but it, you know, from where I sit here and and by by scrolling through Twitter every day, there's this sense of hopelessness mm-hmm. for for a lot of a lot of the you know a lot of people who live south of the border. Um, down in the United States. And so it, it, what, what are your, in terms of everything that you teach, what are your thoughts on, on how this is all playing out and, and what do you see the future holding for, for North America or yeah. the world in general? This, this, might be, this part might be outside my expertise, right? You need an immunologist mm. maybe to, to make predictions about this kind of thing, right? Like in general, I guess I'm hoping that at least states that have mask mandates and are, are you know, doing other things to, to try to mitigate that they'll survive it, right? That it won't be absolutely horrid for them. And I expect for, for states who are ignoring it and not having mask mandates and, and basically saying, well, anybody can kind of do what they want or whatever, mm. that it's, it's going to be a disaster. It's just going to keep getting worse. And um, if, well, yeah, I, as, as winter comes in, if you, it's, it's debatable, like there's so much, there's so many things up in the air right now. Like, is it spread by only droplets or aerosols also a culprit? If so, to what degree are aerosols the culprit? Is humidity involved in it at all? Like there's a lot of people who think that humidity going uh, uh, down in the winter is what makes like flu spike in the, in the, in the winter, mm. right? Is humidity at play here such that, I mean, it was bad enough with the humidity in Florida and Texas in July, and it spread like wildfire, right? Like yeah. when December and January come and the humidity really drops, is it going to be even worse? Mm-hmm. Or is a lot of a lot of experts say that at this point or this early in a pandemic, humidity doesn't really have much to do with it, right? Sure. I, I don't know, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're probably right, but, you know, I, I'm not sure it could get a lot worse this winter. So mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. The, the big wild card for me is the effect it's going to have on higher education. Um, right. Because colleges like public schools can close down. They're state funded. Right. Harvard can go all online. They've got a huge waiting list. They're not going to lose any students. Uh, Colleges like mine in the middle, they go online. Students decide not to show up. Then doors close. Right. Like, um, you know, and I'm not not speaking about my school in particular. I don't know how well we would we would, uh, you know, survive if we close down. But right now we're planning to be in class. I have full traditional classes with 26 students all in one room scheduled um, for uh, for the fall. But it's a very big room. If there's enough room for everyone to be six feet apart, I'll be at the front of the room uh, away from everybody. 
Everybody will be wearing masks. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is school mandated. And I also, we can link to it below if you want to. I wrote a paper called, why do we have to wear masks in class? And it lays on all the science, exactly why masks work. It debunks the pseudoscience. Um, and so, you know, we're going to do the best that we can, yeah. which if you want to talk about the science and pseudoscience of masks, we can, that's a nice transition to do that now. Let, yeah. Let's, I mean, let's, let's do that. I want to know like what, what are, what is the pseudoscience behind masks? You know, it's like, I, I've been, I've been trying to, to look into as much of the, 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 what I'm, what I'm assuming is the real science behind it and how it works and how it, dissipates and and redirects the you know the the like the trajectory of a sneeze or a cough Mm -hmm. um uh and you know the the humidity within a mask trapping it in you know like essentially weighing down the the particles but what's the what's the pseudoscience behind it all okay so um let me give you an example so again pseudoscience is something that looks like science but isn't and it tries to present itself as something that's scientific but it's not right so let me, let me give you an example of, of how pseudoscience works in a different, in a, I'm going to talk about bulletproof vests. We'll give you an analogy and how pseudoscience might work with bulletproof vests and then we'll see how it works with masks. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if I were going to prove to you that bulletproof vests offer a protective, you know, are, offer protection to their wear and they're safe and effective, right? And that's what I mean by safe and effective. You can wear them, they don't injure you, and they prevent, like they, they protect you from injury. Not 100%, but right, they protect you from injury. What I would do is I would explain to you the physics of how Kevlar works, right? Like I'd physically you know, show you how it's woven or whatever, and how that disperses the impact, et cetera, et cetera, right? I would set up some, some mannequins in a lab somewhere and put some vests on some and not on others, and I'd shoot at them, and you'd see that the mannequins with the vests, you know, took less damage, right? And I would show you some correlational studies, right? I'd show you like, here was a platoon that wasn't wearing vests, vests, and then they started wearing vests and the injury rate went down, right? And I'd show you platoon after platoon where that happened and you saw injuries and, and deaths and that kind of stuff go down once they started wearing the vests, right? That's enough. At that point, you know that vests offer protection, right? That is scientific evidence. I've given you studies. I've given you physical evidence. I've explained the physics. I've done lab tests. That's all you need to know, Right? And notice that at this point, like the evidence is so well established at this point that any randomized control trial that you did after that on vests would be pretty useless because the only like the only kind of well controlled enough randomized control trial that you could do on vests. Like you really wanted to test randomly in a completely controlled fashion whether or not vests protect and save human lives. If I were going to test that in the lab in a completely controlled way, what would I have to do? Kill Ethics aside, shoot somebody. You have to, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like completely controlled test. You take a thousand people. You give 500 of them vests at random. You throw them all into the same room. You put a blindfold on and you start firing randomly and see which group right. survives. But like that would be the only way to test that in a really absolutely controlled way. Right? That would be bananas. It would be bananas. <laughs> Clearly, you can't do that kind of study. It is completely unethical. You can't do that. But can you we do it with rats? We could put them on rats. <laughs> right, you could so do it with rats. Isn't that what we just right. always do? We tiny just do it with vests. rats? Little, right, tiny, but notice that... But, <laughs> but notice that since rats are smaller than humans, the analogy wouldn't work, right? Like, that wouldn't right, be the perfect yeah, yeah, randomly yeah. controlled <laughs> trial, right? If you want to really... also need smaller bullets. I get you. I <laughs> yes. know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only way to actually test it on humans, right, to have an analogous study that tests it on humans, is you look at people who are using them in the real world, right? You look mm-hmm. at platoons who have them or platoons who not, or armies who have them or armies who not, and you compare mortality rates and that kind of stuff, right? Sure. But that immediately presents a problem because that's not a really, that's not an 
a randomly controlled trial because you can't control the real world. The real world's filled with all kinds of randomness and chaos and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, that you, so you can't really control that. So if you did that kind of study and you looked at different platoons that are using them and not using them, right? And you saw that there was a difference in the, and that the, the, you know, the injury rates was, were, were, were lower, were, were lower in the, the, the best group, right? You would say, okay, duh, that told me anything that told me what I already knew, right? But if mm. you did a study where they weren't able to find a difference between the two groups, Right. Given the evidence that we already have for vests working, we wouldn't let that study make us conclude that vests don't work. We would think that there was randomness in the real world that threw off that study. Right. Maybe the, the vest wearing group had a harder battle than the, the non vest wearing group or the, the non vest wearing group had a, had a, had a you know, a less deadly battle than the vest wearing group. Or maybe the vest wearing group didn't put their vest on right. They didn't wear them all the time. They didn't write like. Like there's all kinds of randomness in the real world that would throw that kind of study off, mm. right? And so no kind of randomized controlled trial done in the real world like that is ever going to prove that vests don't offer protection. If they were really carefully controlled, they might be able to show you like this kind of vest is better for this kind of circumstance and this kind of vest is better for that kind of circumstance. That You might be able to do something like that, but no randomized mm. controlled trial is ever going to prove that masks or that, that the vests don't offer any protection, Right. If I'm a pseudoscientist and I, let's say I've got a different material that I think works better than Kevlar or something like that, right? And so I'm trying to market my, my bulletproof vest or whatever, whatever reason. So I want to sow doubt about the effectiveness of Kevlar, of Kevlar vests, right? If I want to do that, a really effective way to do that would be to look at studies that I can make, that I can make look like suggest that, that, that vests don't offer protection. Right. For example, I could find a study that says that, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, vests don't offer protection as, as, as part of the title. And I can cite it and look at it and say, look, they don't offer protection in this study when the study's actually about whether they, 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 they operate as flotation devices. Right. <laughs> so that if you fall in the water, can you use your, your vest? And, and the study would show that there's no, you know, there's no there's no benefit to, 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 to vests in regards to flotation devices. Right. But I could just mm. cite the part that says, look, it says there's no benefit to vests. Right. And, and so they don't work. Right. So I could I could use studies that really aren't about the topic to make it look like they are to make it kind of seem like I've got scientific evidence. Right. Who or are these people or, <laughs> what the or or you could um, look at one of those studies that found no difference between the two groups. Right. And just quote the line from the study that says we were unable to find a difference in this particular study mm. between between the two groups. Right. Ooh. And just quote that line. And don't say anything else. See, randomized controlled style, golden standard of science. There's no difference. Therefore, vests don't work. It's like, mm. they're not the golden standard of science in, in, in the way that you're thinking. It's not like all science is tiered and randomized controlled trials are the best kind of evidence for all kinds of science. No, sometimes they're misleading and, and they're not very useful, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're really necessary for drugs, for treatments, for vaccines. You need randomized controlled trials for those, but not for things like bulletproof vests. Right. Mm. And if you look at they this quote, that line from the study that say we were unable to find a difference. Right. But they leave out the part of the study where the authors specifically say, but the studies were small. The groups were, were really too small to draw any conclusions about the people who were supposed to be wearing the vest weren't actually that great at wearing the vest all the time. There was like mm. noncompliance in the groups. Right. And you definitely can't extrapolate about the safety, uh, you know, the effectiveness of, of vest at all from this study. It was just too small and there was too much real world randomness. Right. If they left that part out, right. You'd start to get a little suspicious about their motivations. 
right? Mm -hmm. Or if you also left out another part of the study that said that in this other circumstance, we did find a difference, right? Like, in other words, like, we didn't find a difference between, uh, you know, uh, bulletproof vests when we were dealing with armor-piercing bullets, but we did find one when we were talking about regular bullets, right? Like, and if they leave that Mm -hmm. part out, right? Starting to look very, very suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. And is it this also is- that they are that they are that that people who are doing this and 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 using misleading information or excerpts from studies are also speaking? I I I'm assuming to a group of people who are never going to read a study in their damn lives. That <laughs> is part of the idea, right? Like the idea is so if I so this is what's happening in the mass debate, right? This is Mask. your article on this in the mat in, about the mat the, that one article that you were you were uh, debunking. That's like eight scientific journals that prove that masks are ineffective, and then every single citation from those, you're like, well, this is a mischaracterization. This is <laughs> yes, I just love that. Yes. I fucking love that stuff. Yes. So, and one like one of the big ways. So let me let me draw the analogy to make the analogy really clear. Right. Like one of the big ways this is done is. The way that masks protect during a pandemic, the way they prevent the spread of COVID is not by filtering the air that someone inhales to keep the wearer of the mask from being infected, right? Mm-hmm. If you look on the package of like surgical masks that you buy, it specifically says these do not protect the wearer. Like don't, don't wear these thinking that you're getting protection for yourself. They're not enough to prevent, you know, in- infection or, or getting a disease, right? They say that because we've known that just regular cloth masks or even surgical masks don't offer enough protection to healthcare workers in high risk environments. They need the N95 masks and that kind of stuff. Right. Mm. But that's not the way that they're, that's not what we're using them. That's not the way that we're using them to help prevent the spread of COVID. They're not supposed to be filtering the air that someone inhales. They're supposed to be filtering the air that someone exhales, the air that's coming out of your lungs that has got the Mm. droplets and it's got the, the, the aerosols and that kind of stuff that are in it. And specifically you, you worry about the aerosol, the droplets that are, that are small and that they will evaporate before they hit. So in other words, the, the aerosols that come out of your, the, the droplets that come out of your mouth so small that they're already aerosols, only about one in every 700 of those will have even a single virus in them. So mm. they're worrisome because they can float out in the air and they might be able to infect someone if somebody gets hit with enough of them or whatever. They're worrisome. What, in my opinion, what you really have to worry about are those particles that are a little bit, that are a little bit bigger, but not so big that they're like, they, they slap against the, the outside of the mask. They're small enough that they're, they're droplets and they start to drop, but they evaporate and they become aerosols before they hit the ground because they, since they started out bigger, they have a larger viral load and they Mm. evaporate down and they can float in the air. And so you've got something with not just a single virus, but a lot of viruses in it, right? The masks catch those before they evaporate, Mm -hmm. right? Like 90% of them, they catch, they catch before they evaporate. Right. And so you're, you're preventing a lot of those more potent aerosols from getting out in the air, but most of the viral loads coming out in droplets, like 99% of the viral load is in the droplets. And those are definitely blocked by the masks, um, Mm -hmm. a bunch, right? That's, that's how masks work, Right. So masks work to prevent spread of COVID by filtering exhaled air, right? And what the pseudoscientists will do is go, hey, look, here's this study about how they don't filter inhaled air. They don't protect the wearer from infection in high-risk environments, right? Therefore, masks don't work. No, that is like citing a study about vests not acting as flotation devices, Right. That's not what the masks are being used for. The masks are supposed to filter exhaled air to prevent when we're using them to prevent the spread of COVID. Their purpose is to to filter the exhaled air, showing me a study about how they can't 
filter inhaled air as yeah. well does not mean that they can't filter exhaled air. That is irrelevant. That is a totally side and different issue, right? Mm. But you can say this study says they don't work to protect the wearer, right? Yeah, right. And right. it's like, doesn't matter. We want to know whether they work to protect others from the wearer. Right. Right. And then you'll have the other analogous thing is you'll have people that, you know, there's, there's been studies on masks or whatever, and they'll, they'll be able to unable to find a difference between the two groups, right. In regards to how well it's, you know, you're helping spread infection and they'll just quote that line, but they'll leave out the part where the author says, but the study was really small. The people in the mask group weren't actually very good at wearing the masks all the time. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and they'll, and and they'll specifically state like we, you can't extrapolate uh, about, um, uh, uh, you know, about the effectiveness of masks and that kind of stuff from this very small study. It was way too small. There was too much real world randomness. They just leave all that part out Mm. because as Brian mentioned, right. They are counting on the people not reading the study. They provide the link and say, oh, yeah, check it out for yourself. They know people won't. They right, know people right. won't check up on it, so, and so they're, they're counting on that. Kyle. Do you know why? Um, I'm not sure if this is in your wheelhouse or not, but but I know that the, the WHO initially who? was the, the, yeah, the WHO, who you're right. Um, they, they said initially that people didn't need to wear masks right. and then they corrected themselves. So my understanding is that as science evolves and we, we learn more, it's good, It's better to make a correction and admit that we were wrong and that we right. learned from our mistakes. And thus this is the new, you know, expectation. But if, if the science is clear now, is, is that why it like, did they make the mistake and then they performed more research and discovered that yes, in fact, masks are effective. So that became the new rule or why, like, why was there so much miscommunication and miscommunication? So my understanding of it is, and you'd have to look at, go into dig, dig deep to see if it really kind of followed this chronological line or whatever. It's not like the science on masks in particular changed. Like we already knew that they didn't protect the wearer all that well. They, they offer some protection. Like the CDC did recommend that people who are vulnerable wear masks during like flu season and that kind of stuff. They recognize that there was some amount of protection to the wearer. So if you're especially vulnerable, maybe it's worth it to wear a mask, right? But the way that they were thinking of masks, like the, what, what they were thinking about the function of masks was to protect the wearer. Right, right. As opposed to, as to, yeah, as yeah. to preventing source spread. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in a normal with, with like normal flu, where the flu manifest, if you get the flu, you know about it in, you know, two or three days, right? Like you, you the symptoms, that kind of stuff come up. Right. Um, when you're thinking in terms of, well, what masks do is prevent, prevent someone or what, you know, if you're thinking in terms of, well, what people are wearing masks for is preventing themselves from getting infections. Right. We know that doesn't work very well. So there's no reason for a healthy person to wear them for that reason because they're not going to offer that much protection, right? Mm. We could try to use it as source spread, right, to protect people. If people have got infected, we could have them wear it to keep them from spreading it around. But by the time that they've got it, they know they have it. If you got the flu, just stay home, right? Like if you have to go out, sure, wear a mask, but there's not a reason to make everyone wear a mask. You, you can say if you're infected, wear a mask, but there's not a reason to make everyone wear a mask because healthy people don't need to wear them because they're most likely not infected, right? Mm -hmm. Because symptoms show up quick, right? So what happened was two things. One, 
people started, like scientists started emphasizing the source spread aspect of masks and de-emphasizing the, the, you know, the, the protect from infection part, right? They started emphasizing masks are not just good for protecting the wearer. They're also for good for protecting people from the wearer. Mm-hmm. And then the big piece of information that came in was that you can have COVID for like 14 days and not know it. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like yeah, people so can be our, walking. As, as, as our uh, evolution and understanding of the virus um, yes. grows, then, then you start to realize, oh, okay, actually, in fact, these masks would be more effective. It's not that we, we all of a sudden started learning or researching more and studying masks. We were just researching and studying the virus. And then all of a sudden, you know, we decide, okay, yeah, masks can yes. help prevent the spread of this. So it's not like that. And this was true whenever they, when they shifted, it's not like the science behind masks and what we knew they did and didn't do change. We've always known that they protect droplets and that kind of stuff. That's why surgeons wear them, you know, in surgery is to keep, you know, particulates mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff off, off the patient. Right. We've, we've known that they, they do that for a really long time. Um, so it's not like the science behind the mask change. It's how we conceived of their purpose for the public we conceive public use as a way to prevent infection to the wearer, and we started conceiving of it differently as a way to protect other people from the wearer. And then we also learned that the virus acts differently than we thought it did. We realized that you could be infected for a long time without realizing it. And at that point, like the only way to make sure that everyone who is infected and could be unknowingly spreading it around is not doing that is by just making everyone wear it. Unless you have, like, you wouldn't need masks if we had universal testing, because you don't need to wear one if you know that you're healthy. So if you had mm. universal testing and everybody knew whether they were they had it or not, you wouldn't need the, a universal mask mandate. But without mm-hmm. the testing, the only way to know to make sure that everyone who is infected is wearing one and not spreading it around is to just make everybody wear one. Right. And so it was that shift in understanding. It wasn't a shift in how in, in understanding how masks work, right. but a shift in our understanding of the disease and, and the purpose of masks. Cool. Holy shit, guys. This <laughs> has been this has been pretty eye-opening, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much I believe about all this mask bullshit anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, well, but, guess what, Jared? We but, just learned that we'll never change your mind then. Yeah, that's right. But Kyle. You did, you did convince me a little bit, I guess, that masks probably are probably helpful. Perhaps just um, because you're a kind guy, I guess. But, 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 I, but I do, do got to say, I, I hope that, like you know, I, I highly doubt, I, I really highly doubt that there's any of our listeners are like anti-mask, but if they are, man, I hope that you feel... Like, because you probably you listen to this podcast for so long, you probably feel like you're our best friend, right? That's how podcasting works: is you just feel like you're the best friend of the list of the hosts of the podcast because they're always in your ears. And now you've you've sat here and you've you've had a one way conversation uh, with David, and he's explained to you why why um, all that silliness that you have been believing in is is caca. And so, and so, you know, we're not beating it over the head. We're not, you're, you're, you're not, we're not make, we're not making you feel lesser than we're just giving you the truth. And the truth is wear a fucking mask, you dope. And <laughs> if you are, and Jeremy, if you are, you, <laughs> and if you Jeremy, are, Jeremy, if you are go ahead, on go ahead. social media, <laughs> if you are on Instagram or you are on Facebook and you are coming across people who are spouting anti-mask shit. Don't engage with them. The best way to make those people feel silly is to have no one interact with them, period, because then they'll realize that no one thinks that they're right. 
Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, I would like to point out the the irony that Jeremy was the one a while ago that was talking about like this great example of the way to change people's minds is to befriend yeah. them and not call them stupid and like yeah. you know right and then and then he just totally. did the exact opposite. Not, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not dumb. You're not dumb. You're just dumb. Um, uh, Kyle, this has been this has been a real treat, man. Uh, thank you so much for for uh, laying down some knowledge on us and our listeners. And uh, I have a feeling what we're probably going to have you back on the podcast uh, at some point because there's uh, the, the world is just completely on fire and it is pretty <laughs> fascinating to watch. And, uh, and uh, I feel like there's, there's a, lot that, a lot more that we can learn from you. So thank you so much. Hey, and uh, actually, what is, what is um, uh, Great Courses? You, is, is there? Yeah, uh, I can uh, talk uh, about that. So yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, let me let me just say thank you for having me on. I'd be glad to come back. You want to talk about aliens? You want to talk about any kind of pseudoscience, that kind of stuff? You want to talk about critical thinking? You want to talk about logical fallacies? You want to talk about religion? I I I do a lot of philosophy, religion work, and that kind of stuff. I'll I'll be happy to you know check out my academia.edu page and you can see what I write on and stuff. And I'd be happy to talk about any of that. I love macadamia nuts. So, but great courses. So great courses is. it is not a college. It is a learning platform. It's a company. The comp- company is actually called the Teaching Company, and they produce courses for lifelong learning. So they're not for college credit or anything like that. It's just if you are curious about anything, they have cool. a course on everything from kung fu to cooking to philosophy to history to science to you name it. They've got a course on it. Um, and I am one of the philosophers that does courses for them. And so I have three courses with them. One's called Exploring Metaphysics. It's a little heavy, but I talk about God and free will and relativity and quantum mechanics and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, I have another one that's lighter that I actually use for intro called uh, The Big Questions of Philosophy. It's 36 lectures, mm. and I talk about all the big questions of philosophy um, to how do we gain knowledge, to does God exist, to how should society be organized, to what's, what's right and wrong, that kind of stuff. Um, and then my favorite is really fun. It's called Sci-Fi. Science fiction as philosophy with the phi spelled P-H-I for a delicious pun for philosophy. Anyway, um, <laughs> cool. but uh, it is it's a science fiction as philosophy. It's, it's a course on how science fiction is and does philosophy. And so mm. each lecture is a separate uh, a lecture on a like in between each lecture. I tell you to go watch a movie or go watch a television episode of science fiction and then come back. And I say, it looks like the ma- argument they're making is this. And so we can evaluate that philosophically. Whoa, I talk about right. um, uh, the, the first, the, the first one is on inception. I actually edited the book, uh, a philosophy book on inception. Um, the uh, second uh, chapters or second lectures are like on matrix and the matrix reloaded. And I talk yes. about contact. I talk about interstellar. I talk about Dr. Who I talk about 13th floor. I talk about, uh, uh, uh uh, um, Starship Troopers. I talk about uh, Transcendence. Yes. I talk about uh, um, uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. I talk about uh, Gattaca. I talk about uh, Firefly and a little show called uh, Blake Seven. Um, I talk about Metropolis from way back in the third. Like it's a, it's a survey of yeah. all these different, uh, and each one leads into the next. It's 24 lectures. It's lots of fun. Wait, Dave, you... you're not a science fiction fan, are you? I am a science fiction <laughs> fan, actually. Um, if, if you guys can see the, if you guys can see the video, the guys are staring at like all this science fiction nerd stuff yeah. that I've got behind me. Um, I love so, it. um, 
the the way to see it uh, is you can you can order the course like it's on DVDs. You can get it on DVD. You could get it on CD if you wanted to. It's an audio it's an audio book on Audible. Uh, all all of mine are all all audio books on Audible. Um, and but you I guys hi- have it on laser. Is it on Laserdisc? I don't that- think we have Laserdisc. <laughs> I Got don't it. think okay. so. Um, but okay. um, they do have great courses. Has okay. So I highly recommend you watch the video, especially for sci-fi. In in big big questions, I got lots of cool suits that I, I have a different suit out, outfit for each lecture. I'm very proud of them. Uh, <laughs> for sci-fi, I did something similar where I have a different outfit, but I also have all this cool sci-fi memorabilia behind us, and we also do some cool visual gags with certain lectures and that kind of stuff. Oh, there's fun. lots of visuals going on. So if you want to watch the visuals, you can get the DVDs, or there's something called The Great Courses Plus. It's an app. It's basically their version of Netflix. All the courses that they do, I'll say, say all, virtually all the courses that they've ever done are available like on this one platform. And you can just have a monthly subscription and watch whatever the hell you want. Whoa, um, sweet. And you can watch the video or you can flick it over and just do the audio version. Um, yeah, and I'll give, I'll give you a little secret. Like if you want to do my course for free, you could just subscribe for a free trial and do it really quick and then unsubscribe. Hey, right? Oh, there we go. But, yeah, we got, a, we got a bunch of cheap-ass listeners. They are loving that. Yeah, but, and then save, uh, save your money and invest it in our Patreon. Great. <laughs> That's right. Uh, David, we're going to have uh, all those all those links in the show notes, folks, so if you want to uh, follow along, uh, great courses. That sounds amazing. I'm super, super into the idea of all that. So, again, this has mm-hmm. been really fun, man. Thank you so much for, for everything. Happening. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, if you guys ever do sci-fi and want to have me come back and talk about it, I'll talk about it all day. Definitely. All right, there we go. That was uh, that was our, our friend DKJ, the old Dr. DKJ, Dr. Kyle, David Kyle Johnson, Kyle Hatcha. And Man, um, I love David. He, what a isn't great he great? Guy. I know. Mm. He, I, I really, really do want to take his course. Um, his Dude, course I signed on, up for the great courses. Did you? Sweet. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, we should. You want uh, my login? Wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your login. Let's fucking. Yeah, yeah, put it in the Google Drive and we can share it with some other people. Okay, cool. We'll put it on our Patreon if you sign up for our Patreon. The Great Courses login. That would be great. Imagine you sign up for somebody's Patreon and they just gave you like their Netflix and like Disney Plus and Amazon Prime. Dude, you're starting something here. Yeah, don't go down that. Don't go to that. I mean, we would never do that. We're going we're gonna to find out in the anti-defamation training that that's just a big boo-boo. Join our Discord um, to find out. Uh, yeah, so Dr. David Kyle Johnson, uh, rad dude. We're going to have him back on the show at some point, I'm sure. And, uh, and hey, you know, he's probably going to be a great guest on Taylor and I's new podcast, Checkmate. That's coming out soon. Yeah, uh, I'm on that, it's too. It's all about conspiracy theories. It's just me and Taylor and, oh, and another friend. Oh, oh, guys, hold on. Someone's at my door. We should just end the recording there. Oh, it's Fidex. <laughs> Fidex? Fedex. I mean, I will say I feel like uh, some responsibility for the name confusion because I could swear I wrote in the pre-interview notes goes by Kyle. You might. I could swear I did. But Taylor and I don't read. Sometimes I read them and sometimes I don't. No, but for for Jeremy, I know I know he does. But anyway, he should have. Yeah, he Jer should have read it and then texted us and said, "Heads up." Yeah, he goes by his middle name. But honestly, I just assume that if I, I assume that that's not something that 
you need to you need to write down because you think the person would just say my name is this not this well it's funny because he was saying that there's already a david johnson and a kyle johnson as you can imagine in the academic field you know when your name's you're slinging your name everywhere on all these papers you got to stand out poor guy just wants to go by kyle what is this fedex what's in it fedex What's in the box? Oh, oh man! It's I thought letter. it was something way different. Someone FedExed you a letter? Yeah, it's Vital Air. What the fuck, uh, guys? I thought this was. You know what it uh, is? They're remember gone. how earlier we were talking about? You know what they're saying? Actually, I probably shouldn't they're say saying, what I thought it was. They're saying on here <laughs> that that letter's gonna say, "Hey, remember how all the stuff gets uploaded to a cloud? We can tell that you definitely still have sleep apnea and you haven't been using your machine." <laughs> yeah, that letter. It's the fifty million dollars you owe cut. people for fucking torrenting movies. <laughs> they finally got yeah. you. <laughs> That's what Vital Air is, right? The comp- the the the. Oh, I, I gotta return. Thing? I gotta return the CPAP machine, or else I get charged and get a new one. A bunch of money to use. No, that no CF clinic gave me a new one. Um, Do you use it? I need it? to return the trial one. All right. Long anyway, uh, thanks for <laughs> tuning in, everyone. Everyone, we uh, leave fin- this long. This, this <laughs> is uh, this has been great. Uh, uh, wait, when I was gone there, did you guys just vamp, or do I got to cut that out? You got to cut it out. Yeah. Oh, really? Actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, you could leave it. Or could I leave it? You can definitely uh, leave it. No. You should leave I mean, this anything, in, too. Was anything, <laughs> yeah, was anything said that uh, that needs to come out? Guys, anti-defamation training is coming up. I don't want to <laughs> I mean, fucking let them we down. We never <laughs> say anything that should, should be cut from anything. <laughs> Brian, you have no idea how much stuff I have to cut out for your own tuchus. No, <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, I, I do. Guys... I'm Brian, the, you're the most. I'm you're, the you're, sweet you're, one. you should cut you out. You should cut out pretty much everything. We we were really just like sitting here saying David, Kyle, Kyle, David. <laughs> cool, <laughs> cool. Well, guess what? I'm definitely keeping it all in. Uh, yeah. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We love you. Uh, can't wait to see you again on Monday because uh, this is what we do now: Mondays and Fridays, Mondays and Fridays, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, that is it for this week. I'm Taylor. I'm Brian. I'm Jeremy. And I am Lauren, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.